Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. everybody hello happy thanksgiving oh yeah happy thanksgiving because this is going to be released a couple days after thanksgiving and black friday chaos and may oh, you God. all be safe out there and all of that i will not be partaking in any of it black friday is my literal nightmare oh yeah yeah, I mean, talking about World right before we came on here, talking about like crowd surge and crowd crushing, people yes. have gotten trampled in Black Friday, like yeah, incidences, like people straight up TVs, yeah, over literally just like, and you know, sure you get really amazing deals in the store, but you get pretty good deals online, like yeah, <laughs> I'm a big fan of the uh, Cyber Monday where I can do it from the comfort of my bed. Well, and now most like Black Friday deals start like weeks in advance and you might as well just do it all online. That's what I do because I I don't need to be yeah. out in any of that, especially after COVID. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So speaking of COVID, my mom went to go get an antibody test today mm-hmm. because she was about to get her booster and she was like I'm just curious if I have any antibodies and if I do then like I'm just gonna wait a little bit to get my booster Mm -hmm. my mom had COVID back in February of 2021 Mm -hmm. and sure enough she has like the antibodies that said that she had COVID recently there's like the she texted me it it was like the Mm -hmm. I am G's and then I am A's I think is what it was Mm -hmm. Uh, IgMs and IgGs, yeah, that's what she said. So she had both of those, and I forget which one she said. Um, I think IgMs is the one that was like the cue for if you had COVID recently or something like that. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, "So apparently I've had COVID, and like I didn't know it." And I was like, "Well, I mean that's interesting, but also like if you're you have the vaccine, yeah, you're yeah. vaccinated, so you so you she's might wait, yeah." So that's yeah, the, that's sorry. sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> that's the threat about the unvaccinated people. Like vaccinated people can carry COVID, not even know it, and give it to you. You know. Yeah. So, go get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. So my mom's, gonna, like, my mom's gonna wait a little bit to get her booster, but my dad's gonna go get his booster because he doesn't have because he also went and got an antibody test and he mm-hmm. doesn't have any of that stuff. So. But yeah. also, this is the second time 
that my mom's had COVID and my dad has never gotten it. <laughs> and so I'm like, I was telling her, I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting how that happens. And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little pissed off about it. <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's like, I do go outside more than your dad does, but still like, how the hell does this happen? Yeah. That's the thing. Like we just don't, we really still don't know enough about how it all works. I mean, we know mm-hmm. enough to know that the vaccine does work because um, you know, like 90% of the people in hospitals are unvaccinated at this point. So we know that it works, but the ins and outs of like why certain people get it, why for certain people have like worse experiences with it. That's a little, you know, murky as far. And we've only been living with the disease for two years. So it doesn't surprise yeah. me takes a long time for you know us to really understand all symptoms of a disease on a really scientific level if ever so yeah that's fair that that doesn't take away from that the vaccine definitely works (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes yep (laughs) yeah yeah we need to go get our booster and our flu shots um before we go home this year because gotta protect the fam I, mean, like, I totally got it when I was a kid. Did you hear him just go? He's whiny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, puppy dog. Yeah, he's like right next to me. He's all worn out from our weekend. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, Marzi <clears throat> is down here because she wants to be up. In- right, Marzi? She's like, don't bother me, mom. I'm sleeping. I'm getting she- my beauty rest. Exactly. She loves the pod loft up here. She likes the carpet. Cute. I love it's- it. It's a thing. Yeah. What are we drinking yeah. tonight? I think we're both actually drinking alcohol for once. Really? I have wine. What do you have? Bourbon? Whiskey? I have a honey rye whiskey. This is the only whiskey I'll drink straight because gotcha. it is very, <laughs> it's pretty sweet, but yeah. it's from a local Virginian distillery um, oh, cool. called Silverback Distillery. It's near uh, Charlottesville, like up in the yeah. Shenandoah region. And um, my mother-in-law brought it for me when they visited in October and I've slowly been working my way through it. It will probably be gone by Christmas. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. Good things. Yeah. Great things. How, how are mm-hmm. we doing? Me? Mm-hmm. Personally? I'm hanging in there. Yeah. I um, found out yesterday morning that my aunt passed away from oh. cancer. So I'm sorry. That's okay. But we don't have to keep this in the podcast if you don't want to. Yeah. Currently. Yeah. No, it's okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a rough spot. So yeah, I understand yeah. that. Yeah. How are you? Um, I've also been better. Uh, it's kind yeah. of up in the air whether we'll actually get to go home for Christmas this year because of a project that is not going to plan for me. Um, that yeah. I have to be here to maybe take care of fish. Maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's something we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. And I mean, yeah. we're going to go home, but it's different if you go home during Christmas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to so. go home for Christmas, by the way. So if you're in town, let's hang out. I know we need to record a podcast and <laughs> <in>, like person. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, what are you guys doing for Thanksgiving? We are going up to Dallas-Fort Worth um, 
to my aunt and uncle's house. Um, and I don't know, I don't know who else is going to be there, but we're making them pie and, and sides and it's going to be a good time. And they're going to love on Marzi. They're kind of obsessed with my dog. I think like we're leaving her with them for Christmas. Um, and I think we may not get her back when we return. So (laughs) you're going to have to like force her out of their hands. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just, yeah. So that's the plan anyway. What about you? Um, I'm staying local. We just get Thanksgiving day off. So it's not a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And I was just on vacation for a week. So it's not like I can take more time off. Yeah. Um, but one of our old coworkers, him and his wife do like a misfit Thanksgiving for anyone that's Mm -hmm. like staying local and they live right down the street from me. So I'm just going to pop over there. There you go. And hang out with them. That's kind of what we did last year. And we hung out in our friend's hot tub for Thanksgiving. And I think that was good. (laughs) That's a good consolation. (laughs) I wish I could go home, but, uh, same. It is. Sad times. I I recently saw my parents though. So they joined me on my vacation. So that was nice. Oh, that's right. To, um, grantee time. Uh, no, I I went just this past week. I was in Nicole Island, Georgia. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, like, I worked a lot of hours to get Ocean Fest set and mm-hmm. done. And so my boss told me to take a week off for all the hours that I worked. I was like, you don't got to tell me twice. You're like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I booked a campsite and I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. That's um, kind of how this week is is going for me. Like, I'm, one of my projects is wrapping up this week and I'm just like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, so I told my parents I was like, because they've been trying to v- visit me for like the past couple of months, but with my aunt's health, they've just it's been hard. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I told them I was like, okay, like you know, you guys should just stay home. I'm gonna see you guys for Christmas, and mm-hmm. that'll be fine. Like I can wait, you know. Yeah. Um, obviously, like the need for them to be somewhere is you know with my aunt than more than with me. So. And so I, I told my parents, I was like, hey, like, I'm going to go camping in Georgia um, on Jekyll Island. And if you guys think you have some time, like, last minute to come join me, you guys come join me. Like, I'll be camping, but like, you guys could just get a hotel or something and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. We'll hang out during the day, like, have dinner and breakfast or whatever, walk the beaches, hang out, ride bikes, whatever. And so then they ended up calling me on Sunday and I was uh, arriving at my campsite on Monday. <laughs> so it was like literally like the day before they're like, oh, we're going to come join you. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Great. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've kind of ch- chatted enough. Um, yeah. Our, our lives and how hard it is to be apart from our family, especially this time of year. Yeah, it is. It's just hard. Yeah. But it's all good. We're being adults. We're having careers, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Yeah. Those things. (laughs) Well, as a special Thanksgiving kind of episode, um, we're going to focus on a story today about a now very famous American frontiersman. And And so I didn't know this was a true story until I saw the movie. Yes. Even though you told me it was a true story. I just yes. was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I would have had you watch it if it wasn't a true story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So um, it's the movie that gave uh, Leo his Oscar finally, um, even though I feel like for most of the movie, he just does a lot of grunting and crawling. So, you know, (laughs) grunting and crawling is very hard things to do. (laughs) That's what me and Corey were talking about the whole time we were watching it. They were like, how, why is this the movie he wanted? Like, not that he did a bad job, but he doesn't really like do a whole lot. You know what I mean? It's just a lot of like, crawling around and and just being hurt and yeah but anyway yeah. for those of you who haven't guessed already um we are going to talk about the true story behind the revenant and to make this uh not only um you know thanksgiving appropriate but also just appropriate overall we are going to be talking about the real story we're going to be talking about the real native american tribes that he encountered on his journeys and kind of their backstories and kind of um, breaking away from the, oh, you know, Indians are, you know, aggressive and will attack you. And they will. However, for fucking good reason, because, you know, we took all their land and that's why we're in this situation today. So I did want to kind of talk about um, some of the tribes that are like the main contenders in this story, because I feel like the movie doesn't really fully cover all of that kind of still yeah. shows and you know indigenous people as the quote-unquote bad guys to some yeah. degree I so. think that and I think that's why I was confused when I was watching the movie mm-hmm. so I was like there's Waylon um because <laughs> I was like why like it, it was like so obviously they show the Native Americans and I could tell that they were the Native Americans mm-hmm. but like I just couldn't tell where the conflict was with between them and then yeah. like Hugh Glass's team or whatever yeah Wayland. so um so that's where I was because I was like these are just the Native Americans they're living here like what's why is everyone angry <laughs> like, yeah, like the, why are we killing people <laughs> the movie doesn't do a great job explaining the politics behind what was going on in that region at the time and I will tell you more about it they kind of create this kind of like weird excuse of the chief's daughter was stolen and he's trying to get her back. And he thinks that the Americans have her, but the French were the ones that actually had her and they were keeping it kind of a secret. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a, they're trying to bring like emotion into it and be like, look, you know, Americans aren't so bad. At least they aren't the French, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I want to have you give your synopsis of the movie <laughs> before we get into the story. It's going to be hard. I'm not good at giving synopsises. I believe but, you. So what, what I saw uh-huh. <laughs> was, so for, first of all, let me just set the scene for you. I'm putting up my Christmas tree as like this movie is playing. Oh, good. Real cozy. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, Rocco's. I have a Apple DiCaprio's getting mauled by a bear. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, great, great times. I, I mean, it yeah, was snowy. So it opened up. It was snowy. It was like winter. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it opened up like they were speaking different languages. Assuming mm-hmm. that was like the Native American language for the tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I really just couldn't follow the beginning because I just, I was confused because of like all the different, like, I don't know, parts that were like being shown. Mm -hmm. 
And then it just seemed to me that then he gets attacked by a bear. And yeah. I'm like, oh shit, this is, this is, this is like coming quick. Yeah. And, uh, and he gets attacked by a bear. Mm-hmm. Like I started Googling what to do when a bear attacks you when he was getting attacked. Because <laughs> 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 I was like, what the fuck is this? Like what's happening? And I, they also didn't say like what kind of starting to Google bear species to see what kind of bear it was. Grizzly. Um, it was a grizzly bear. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a grizzly bear. And you're not supposed to get big and yell at them if you see a grizzly bear. But so also when he gets attacked by the bear, it mm-hmm. seems like it just comes out of nowhere. So mm-hmm. like, did he bother it? Was he like in that territory? Like was he in like that personal space? So in the movie, I don't know if you noticed, but you see the two cubs before. Oh yeah, I would have not noticed that before the mom attacks and so she was defending her cubs in that that makes sense yes because after so i didn't see that at the beginning but i i heard when the other men were trying to find him i heard them say oh there's cubs over here Mm -hmm. and i was like cool like so the mom just like left its babies to go kill some random dude i was a little confused on that one but then that makes sense if i overlook the cubs yeah um and then yeah after that it was just like dude the one dude uh uh fitzgerald aka tom hardy that motherfucker sucks yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh i was not a fan of him and i like another part i was confused about was like why did he kill his son so it seems to me that in the movie, Fitzgerald obviously is cast as the ultimate bad guy, right? So he's yeah. really just in it for the money. They're saying, if you stay behind with Glass, who's now wounded from the grizzly bear attack, we'll give you extra money to give him a proper burial when they're all assuming he's going to die because right. mean, he's like literally gasping for, for breath. Um and so Glass's son in the movie stays behind and that other kid. And so basically Fitzgerald just wants to get out of there before the Arikara, which are like the indigenous tribe in the region, like come back and kill them because he knows that they're not going to survive if it's just like two people or three people. And so yeah. he obviously is also pretty racist as he is calling Native Americans the uh, tree N-word. Um, oh, I yeah. picked I up that. on I that. Like, <laughs> I did. I was like, that's rude. Yeah. And so, obviously, does not care about Glass's son, who is half Native American, Pawnee. Right. Um, and so, when, you know, he starts to push back against Fitzgerald basically killing his dad so he can just leave um, and get his money, um, that's when Fitzgerald stabs him because he wants just he wants Glass to die so he can just move on and get his money, and Glass just won't die. Oh, right. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So that's that whole, and that's why Glass is pissed, obviously, and you know, fueled by angers to survive. Yeah, and then he just spends the rest of the movie trying to heal and get back to Fitzgerald to kill him, mm-hmm. and then. When he does kill him, he doesn't even kill him. He lets the natives do it. Yeah. So I Which think I was like, oh. yeah. 
I think for Hollywood vibes, that was kind of like a symbolic, like, oh, you know, he's letting go of his revenge because he knows he's, you know, bested him or what, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, another question I had was when, um, you know, when he was healing in the woods with the natives and he like had that vision yeah. of like another native when he had that vision, mm-hmm. who was that person? Was that like another like native that had, you know, symbolism in the movie? So that woman was his wife. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not good with movies one time around. I need to watch movies like three times around. <laughs> yes, that is this. So cool, cool, cool. Got it. Yeah. So anyways, to sum that up, the movie is about an American frontiersman who is basically um, guiding a hunting party through Arikara territory, which is the indigenous tribe in this region. And he gets mauled by a bear, basically gets left for dead by the people who are supposed to be looking after him Mm -hmm. and then seeks revenge on said people. That is, I think the synopsis also they kill his son that's important too yes yes the son is dead the son is is important um especially for the movie yeah hi waylon you you do a better job at that than i do because i'm just like i have so many questions (laughs) so if you haven't watched the movie big big spoilers i guess um maybe you should (laughs) see that before um, but the real, the reason why we watched the movie is because I think, and this is just my personal opinion, because I have researched the real story. I have read the book that the movie is based on, which is very different. And then I have mm-hmm. also watched the movie. And I think the movie is the most entertaining, most emotionally satisfying version. Of I the was story. very entertained. I will say that. Yes. And you feel for him. You feel for him. You're like, and he's different because he loves Native Americans. He has a Native American child. He sees past color. You know, he's mm-hmm. this great Hollywood white man, the great white savior, blah, 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 blah. And it's a beautiful movie. It is very beautiful. Bloody, but beautiful to watch. Yeah, it was real bloody. Especially at the beginning. And the man yeah. sleeps inside a horse like Han Solo That was style. another part. I was <laughs> like, whoa, you did that. Hashtag survival. Hashtag Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we're going full Star Wars in this shit, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Huh? Like, a crawl inside a large animal to survive winter storms. Yeah. I wonder if that actually works. It probably does. I don't know. We'll try it sometime. Let me know how it works. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that. I also love <laughs> that he was, like dead ass naked when he got inside that animal as well i know like right an- I, I can't ruin my clothes like i get it because you gotta wear those for a long time afterwards but like mm-hmm. no eh. no thank you Still no thank gross. you yeah no thank you is right so you want to know the real story <laughs> give me the real story <laughs> it's oh, a lot dumber geez. it's a lot dumber there's a lot dumber yeah <laughs> oh god it is impressive oh, no. that he survives the bear attack, but the reason behind his revenge story is really fucking dumb. So let's get into it. His son really didn't die? Let's get into it. Ugh. Let's get into it. Okay. 
So, like I said, when you see this movie, you are introduced to Hugh Glass, who's a larger-than-life American hero, hell-bent on getting revenge on those who killed his son and left him for dead and buried him in a shallow grave alive. You see Leo finally get that Oscar. You also see him get mauled by a bear. But you may not know that the story was inspired, I say loosely, loosely inspired by the real-life mountain man and trapper Hugh Glass, who was definitely a real person. The real story behind his survival is only about half of what the Revenant movie depicts and is far more similar to the Revenant book by Michael. It's either punk or punky. Punky. I like punk. Punk. Ooh, punky. That's a fun one. P-U-N-K-E. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And to add to it all, much of this actual story is shrouded in a lot of rumor and lore added on from years and years of people, you know, retelling this infamous story. Mm -hmm. So Hugh Glass was born in 1783 to Irish immigrants in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yes, just like The Office. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) He's from Scranton. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Not much is known about his early life. Um, By the time he was a young adult. The office soundtrack just started like. Yes. (laughs) So by the time he was a young adult, his life was already shrouded in lore. So reportedly in 1817 to 1820, he was captured by the infamous pirate Jean Lafitte in the Gulf of Mexico in my neck of the woods. And forced mm-hmm. into piracy. Lafitte mm-hmm. was, which is something they like do not even talk about in the movie, but this dude yeah. was a pirate, actually. Yeah, they missed that entirely. Yeah. So Lafitte was a French privateer who operated in the Gulf of Mexico during the 19th century, helped Andrew Jackson secure New Orleans. New Orleans. Wow. God, do I sound like a northerner? New Orleans <laughs> during <laughs> the War of 1812. And had a permanent settlement in what is now Galveston called Campeche. Um, while he is generally looked upon favorably in the United States doing, due to his support of the U.S. during the World War of 1812, he was a privateer and ran his ships with an iron fist and is generally like very violent dude. Um, so Glass and a companion eventually escaped Lafitte and came ashore near Galveston Bay, Texas. <laughs> uh, since the area was controlled by Lafitte's boss, Glass and his companion headed north, uh, avoiding territory controlled by the Karankawa indigenous peoples. So I'm going to get into every indigenous group we talk about in this story, which there are three just because mm-hmm. I feel like we need to talk about these indigenous people instead of just glossing over them because they are probably a bigger part. Well, they are a bigger part of U.S. history, kind of unwritten that I think more people need to be educated on. And if I can do just a little bit here, um, I'm, I'm going to try. Um, do it. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the Karankwa people because they are actually the indigenous people Um their land is the land that I am currently living on right now. Mm. And so I think it's important okay. to talk about that um, because this is not our land. Um, we inherited it through blood. And um, that's something that I think 
all Americans just need to recognize and accept. And I think everybody kind of needs to do a little bit of research about whose land they're living on. I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Karankawa, their territory was typically avoided, um, apparently because they were uh, rumored to be cannibals. We've come across this before with native peoples um, in some of our stories. So supposedly uh, the Karankawa is where the term long pig came fo- from when it comes to eating people. They call them long pig, which is creepy and weird. That's interesting. Which is something you hear in a lot of movies um, when they refer to cannibalism. Instead of saying, I'm going to eat a human, they're going to be like, I'm going to have some long pig. Um hmm. So while there are definitely plenty of reports of cannibalism of enemies in this region, um, what is exaggeration from white colonizers and what is true is really muddled. And it was really hard for me to figure out what was real and what wasn't. Um, So in my research, I found accounts of Karankawans consuming flesh of their enemies or just ritually consuming the ashes of their dead diluted in water as a mourning ritual, which is something that's actually more common than you would think. Um, and, um, there's actually been accounts of Karankawans being disgusted by survival cannibalism from a Spanish shipwreck in the area. So, like I said, there's a lot of cloudiness on these accounts. Um, but the reason why Hugh Glass headed North was to avoid cannibalism, essentially, um, Hmm. which is something we kind of talked about in, um, oh, the episode with the shipwreck, the Moby Dick shipwreck. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, where they avoided Tahiti because they were afraid about getting eaten. It's like, you probably just would have had sex and been fine. You know? Yeah. Probably just would have had a good time. So, um, so this is, yeah, something we see in a lot of historic survival accounts, basically colonial rumors given away to preconceived notions about the people. So I just wanted to clear that up. As to what happened to the Karankwins, um, like I said, I'm living on their former homeland. We even have a sub-bay in this region called Karankawa Bay. Um, the Karankawans were eventually all subjected to genocide from the Spanish and American settlers very early on, like in the 1700s in this region. And the survivors basically abandoned their homeland and moved south into Mexico. Um, so that's that's kind of wrap up his interactions with the people in this region. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to Hugh Glass. So he's escaping from Lafitte heading north. He was reportedly captured by the Wolf Pawnee Indians near what is now Kansas. His companion was killed or rather was sacrificed by being lit on fire. Um, But Glass was adopted into the Pawnee tribe because he offered a gift of cinnabar, which is a flaky red material prized for makeup and pottery around the world. Um, while staying with the Pawnee, he learned lance throwing, tomahawk chopping, how to access marrow from bison bones, wilderness survival techniques, all these things that would really help him out in the future. Um, mm-hmm. Before we move on, let's talk about the Pawnee Nation, which in the movie is where his wife and his son are members of the Pawnee okay. uh, tribe. Um, so... The Pawnee Nation, um, this tribe has been around for 700 years, um, and in the early 18th century, there are about um, 60,000 members of this nation living along the North Platte River in Nebraska and then into Kansas. Um, During this time, they lived in permanent settlements of earth-covered lodges, only really used teepees to 
you know, when they went on hunting parties to hunt bison out on the plains um, and they grew corn and squash and beans, were very into farming, were adepts at pottery and horsemanship. They were classified as a friendly tribe by the U.S. government, um, but were unfortunately forced to cede their territory due to pushback from white settlers. Um, they were removed from Nebraska in 1975 and then moved to Pawnee County in Oklahoma. Um, I meant 1875, not 1975, Jesus. Mm-hmm. 1875 <laughs> um, to Pawnee County in o- Oklahoma, where they created a community, built a trade school and a college. The Pawnee Nation has been reduced to 3,200 people across the world, but they still take pride in their ancestral heritage. Hugh Glass stayed with the Pawnee for two years and may or may not have had a wife. And I'm not really sure if he had a son. I know that he probably had a wife, but it's less clear that he had a son. Point is, the son was not with him when he got mauled by the bear. (laughs) Right. Um, If he did indeed have one. Mm -hmm. So that's something that was very Hollywood and was basically made up for the movie for you to kind of connect a little bit more with Hugh Glass um, and make him seem like more of a good guy. That makes sense. Doesn't see color. He's this great guy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So after he stayed with the Pawnee for two years, um, he headed up to St. Louis in Missouri in January of 1823. So this is where the movie begins. Yes. Yes. So, but I, there's so much more backstory to him. That's really interesting to me because he's like spent a lot of time in my region, which is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's just like, I, th- I thought it was interesting personally. I know I've kind of gone on some tangents, but I do think it's important that we kind of clear up some of these Rumors and things that I found in a lot of the articles about how violent and how horrific that Native American tribes were. And I just want to kind of bring it back to, hey, they were people, they were probably just trying to defend their freaking land. And they're tired of, you know, white settlers moving in, killing their people and doing horrific things to them as well. But we never really talk about that. Yeah. So anyway, let me get off my my high horse here. <laughs> You're good. Um. So anyway, back to Glass. This is when he signed up for a fur trading expedition backed up by William Henry Ashley, who was a U.S. congressman. Ashley hoped to find an alternate route to the Rockies since a campaign against the Arikara indigenous peoples had made the Missouri River a no longer viable option for travel into that region. And that was probably the easiest way for them to travel into that region because it's, you know, a river always has a lot of game nearby. You'll have fresh water, mm-hmm. easier travel, that kind of thing. Um, so a man named Jedediah Smith led the group with the goal of Fort Henry at the mouth of the Yellowstone River as their end point, basically. So his goal was to contact the Crow indigenous people and establish trade and gain knowledge of beaver-rich areas in this region. Um, They set out in February in what is now modern-day South Dakota. So that's kind of the upper 
west is kind of the region in which they were at. And I'm going to kind of jump around, but slide four kind of shows you where they're at. We have um, them leaving from Fort Atkinson, which is down in um, Nebraska near Omaha. And then they head up the river into South Dakota and North Dakota and eventually end up at Fort Henry, which is almost in Mont- in modern day Montana. So that's the region we're in. I gotcha. Um, okay. So in late August, um, they're, they're on the Missouri River. They're hunting. They're trapping. They're doing their thing. The group was attacked by the Arikara, uh, also known as the Re. Um, which were part of the Mandan, Mandan nation um, and 15 trappers were killed and glass was wounded. Um, so that's the first scene in the movie where they're getting attacked by the Arikara. It's very bloody, very gory, you know, and they mm-hmm. escape with some of their pelts and their lives. Um, so the remaining party comprised of 30 men. They were nervous to stay in the area for fear of getting attacked again. Um, the Arikara were a powerful group of indigenous Americans living on the Northern Plains and were actually culturally related to the Pawnee, which we talked about earlier. At this time, they lived in semi-permanent domed earth lodges, relied heavily on raising corn, beans, and squash, just like the Pawnee. Um, they also hunted numerous Great Plains game, including elk and bison. Um, around this time period in 1823, They were seen as an obstacle by the trading parties moving up the Missouri into their territory, which is now North and South Dakota, which is why there were the, you know, Western settlers were basically waging war on the Arikara, which is why the Arikara were pissed off at the Americans in the movie, but they don't really talk about that. That kind of gets glossed over a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the Arikara were very well adept horsemen and were especially adept at attacking white traders and trappers in this manner of riding up cavalry style. Um, and they were very feared warriors. Unfortunately, due to disease epidemics and war, by the mid 1800s, their numbers were severely depleted um, as a story of many native tribes in this area or in this country. Sorry, that's what I meant. Um, and they joined the man, other Mandan tribes to create the three affiliated tribes. Um, just kind of fast forward into the future, uh, talk about what happened to them. Um, in the 1950s, a fourth of their land was flooded by the U.S. government when they created uh, the Garrison Dam, creating Lake Sakakawea. In addition, the discovery of oil in their land forced them into the North Dakota uplands by the U.S. government. Um, and they were reduced to poverty because this area of North Dakota is very arid. There's not a lot of game. Um, now, however, in the 21st century, they have regained some prosperity through bison ranching, um, bringing back some of the bison numbers to the Great Plains. Very important conservation work, actually, because white settlers basically wiped out many, almost all of the great bison herds during their push west. So. Things that are important that we need to talk about, that we need to acknowledge. Yes, they were feared warriors. Yes, they did scalp people, but they were being forced out of their land. Their game was being killed. So I'm, I don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of like, I, yeah, it's kind of what you get when you try to take people's land. Just saying, just saying. So uh-huh. that's something the movie kind of, I feel like glosses over a little bit. Um, 
So let's get back to Hugh Glass because you <laughs> you probably want to know what his reason for revenge is, right? Because he yeah, doesn't have a son. No, what was yeah. it? Yeah. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's it's a lot dumber than you think it's going to be. It's super dumb. Was it because like was it something with, with the pelts? No, but it is material based. It is absolutely material based. Hmm. All right. So after the group got attacked by the Arikara, something terrible happened. This is when Glass was scouting ahead of the group and was attacked by the bear. Like you see in the movie, the infamous Mama Grizzly. So Glass spotted this grizzly bear with two cubs and suddenly the mom charged him. He shot the bear, but it did not slow her down. And she began to maul him with her claws and teeth. Some accounts say that Glass himself was the one who killed the bear with his hunting knife while she was on top of him, although it's more likely that some other members of the party killed her by shooting her when they came upon the scene. And that's something I think the movie got really, really right. Like, hi. Oh, my goodness. My husband just came in and delivered me a a fancy cocktail. Oh, that's nice. Hi, Corey. Ooh, what is it? It's a gold rush with your honey rye whiskey. Oh, that's tasty. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Getting all kinds of drink service oh, up here. Cute. So I think the movie actually got that really, really good because that what I read is like a play for play. I feel like what happened in the movie. I also feel like they got like the physicality of what would actually happen in a grizzly bear attack, like really, really right in the movie yeah. and um i appreciate that they gave a reason albeit maybe not one that everybody would notice for the bear attacking him instead of just being like oh it's crazed bear like ugh. i feel like bears often get um you know basically painted as these vicious predators and they will destroy you if they have a reason but often the reason is like protecting their own but yeah so what do you think about how they portrayed the grizzly bear attack in the movie. I, first of all, hope I never experience a grizzly attack mm-hmm. uh, for myself or witness one for another person. Um, I thought it was like portrayed well. I mean, that's, it, it was honestly more aggressive than I thought a grizzly bear attack would be, but I also don't know what a grizzly bear attack would be. So I was like, yeah. if this is on par for what a grizzly bear attack is, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it, you could totally tell that the bear was like so much heavier Mm -hmm. than like, I don't know what you would expect it to be because I remember watching the bear attack scene and thinking like, holy shit, this thing is like crushing him. Like when it's paw was on his head, Mm -hmm. I was like, like now, like (laughs) that thing is huge. I know. And, like, how up close and personal I feel like they got with the attack, like, with the, you know, camera angle, I guess. Yeah. Um, I thought they did a good job with that. Yeah. Um, so, like, the only thing about the bear attack that I was, like, a little bit, like, interested in knowing more about grizzly bear behavior mm-hmm. is, like, so he, the bear attacks him. Mm-hmm. And then it just stops at one point. Mm-hmm. And it, like, walks off. Yeah. And so... And I can't remember if he like fires a shot at it when it walked off and then it turned back around, but it seemed like a hot minute and he was like trying to get his stuff together to like shoot it. 
Yeah. And then he tried to shoot it and it, I thought he hit it, but it just kept going on at him. He's so, I don't know what happened there. He does hit the bear. Um, yeah. You can kind of see it getting a little bloody before he goes in to stab it with the knife. Um, but they're so big and he didn't hit it in anywhere. Like it's, if he shot it in the eye, probably would have gone down, but like, they're so big. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting how like it attacked him and then it walked off. Mm -hmm. So I was just curious about that kind of behavior, but it wasn't insane scene for sure. I almost wonder if um, the bear was maybe like looking for a her cubs to try to like keep track of them you know before going back in she's like okay i've been cat incapacitated this person let me go make sure my kids are okay before i finish the job maybe i don't know i might be you know personifying but so let's talk about grizzly bears because they are also you know misunderstood and often painted at as predators and yes they can absolutely kill you but typically won't unless provoked so grizzly bears are a subspecies of brown bear um ursus arctos horribilis very nice um and can be about eight feet long and weigh 900 pounds at their biggest um so pretty big um yeah that bear in that scene looks like a thousand pounds yeah yeah uh they're like the size of a freaking car like they're they're huge Mm -hmm. they're surprisingly agile and can run as fast as 30 miles per hour and have been known to attack humans without without provocation but typically they don't females with cubs show the most aggression as they view humans as a threat and obviously want to protect their young they are omnivorous and feed on berries roots and small mammals uh, fish and calves of many herbivores. Um, they can now only be found in large numbers in Alaska and Canada, as there are only um, about a thousand grizzlies within the continental United States. Um, and they have been depleted due to colonization and the settling of the West during Glass's time. Do mm-hmm. we see a theme here? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yep. Yeah, so during Glass's time, they were so widespread throughout the forested and open regions of North America that they their range stretched from Alaska to Mexico, um, and they were very abundant on the Great Plains region. Alaska to Mexico? Yes, that's their historic range. Wow. Yeah. It's that's kind interesting. Of, it's sad. It really is sad to me. I mean... Well, and I... I just always assume bears are more like a colder weather type of animal. I mean, know? yeah, we got black bears in the Great Dismal Swamp in Virginia, though, you know, so. I know. No, I know. But like there also is like, like Virginia gets kind of cold. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, just, I'm just trying to I'm just sure like a grizzly bear in Texas. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just wild. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, it would have been crazy to see the uh, flora and fauna of the North America before we touched it. We could have, we would have looked like, like what Africa looks like, you know, with all that crazy big megafauna just running around doing whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool, and it's sad that it's gone. Um, even though I, I never want to get attacked by a grizzly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
So we have kind of a uh, artist depiction of Hugh Glass's grizzly attack, which is very dramatic. <laughs> the grizzly bear in this looks like a dog. It it does. <laughs> they gave him little puppy ears. Also, he's mm-hmm. kind of small mm-hmm. compared to what actual grizzly bear size is. Um, yeah. And then on the um, right, I'm sorry, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> The bear picture of all the heights of the different bears. We have our black bear at six feet, the grizzly bear at seven feet, and they call it a brown bear in this figure. But I think what they're actually referring to is a Kodiak brown bear, which are those really big bears that they have in Alaska. And they. I've never heard of those ones. Let me Google that one real quick. Yeah. So they're uh, another subspecies, I guess, or subgroup of brown bear. I don't know. It's Brown bears have a lot going on in their subspecies. And I guess a grizzly is a subspecies of a brown bear, which I didn't realize. Um, the Kodiak bear, also known as the Kodiak brown bear, sometimes the Alaskan brown bear, inhabits the islands of the Kodiak archipelago in southwest Alaska. It is the largest recognized subspecies or population of the brown bear and one of the two largest bears alive today, the other being the polar bear. Mm-hmm. And they can get it's up to- five feet tall while it's on all fours. Which is crazy. <laughs> That's wild. It like- weighs a- 1,500 pounds, according to Alaska.gov. Mm-hmm. Lifespan of 20 to 25 years in the wild. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. So be glad, I guess, Hugh Glass, that you're going to get attacked by a freaking Kodiak bear. Because... <laughs> That's wild. You'd be done. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of cool because I didn't know that there was another subspecies of brown bear that was bigger than a grizzly. I thought grizzlies were the biggest brown bear. I know nothing about bears except that I have a healthy fear about them. Yeah. I know that polar bears are the biggest and the most terrifying to me personally, but um, but grizzlies are pretty freaking scary too. They're big. They're big. I've seen black bears before. And they're sweet. Obviously, don't want to get attacked by them either, but they're a little less no. scary. <laughs> they're a just... black bear was the one that walked in front of me on the path. Yeah, in in Alaska. Well, lucky duck. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I nearly shit my pants with that. I can't imagine I saw a grizzly bear. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. All right. So now that we've talked about you know the terrifying grizzly attack, let's carry on with the rest of the story. So. The attack left Hugh Glass badly injured. He had a broken leg, a ripped scalp, a punctured throat, which is why he's wheezing in the movie. Yeah. Um, As well as gashes from the bear's claws on his back that actually exposed his ribs. And Mm. considering how bloody the movie is, I'm surprised they did not show that little detail. They really didn't. But he was so definitely sliced them all the way through. Yes, he got like shredded to <laughs> ribbons, like nasty. Um, he was definitely still alive. At first, with Glass still alive, the group tries to carry Glass on a litter. Um, but this slowed down the entire group, which is what you see in the movie. He's getting pulled. They're trying to pull him up a mountain on a litter. Mm-hmm. It's not working. So the leader decides to have men stay with him um, and basically wait for him to die because they thought he was mortally wounded, which I would also think that he was mortally like, I was like, yeah, seriously, he's done. Um, 
And the expedition leaders were worried about attacks from the Arikara. So they decided to move on, leaving two men, John Fitzgerald, who's played by Tom Hardy in the movie, and Jim Bridger, who was a young teenager, to stay behind with Glass until he died. Fitz and Bridger volunteered and received an $80 bonus for staying behind, which in the movie, Fitzgerald manages to rack that price up to $300, which is one difference. Five days later, Fitzgerald and Bridger decided to um, rejoin the group after placing Glass in a shallow grave, thinking that he was near death for sure. And the thing about this in the movie, though, is they literally just drug him into a shallow grave while he was still alive and like kicking and Mm -hmm. screaming and started throwing dirt on him. (laughs) Yeah. I think probably in real life, they were like, he's just wheezing. He's knocked out completely. He's done for kind of thing. And while, yes, they were definitely trying to save their own hide for sure. I don't think it was as dramatic, probably. Yeah. Um, Might have been like in a coma or something. Right. And try to fight back. Yeah. 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 So one important thing, though, that, that does happen in the movie is they took... Uh, Hugh Glass's weapons with them. Oh. Mm -hmm. So he's weaponless. Yeah. Yeah. So as we know, Glass wasn't dead. He slowly regained consciousness and started crawling towards a nearby creek over the course. I would hate the world if I was him. (laughs) The crawling. Like, like, honestly, like having a bear attack me and then having my people like ditch me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Fuck off. The revenge story makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, For that. But there's another little eh, added bonus that's so dumb. So dumb. Wait, did he get revenge because they took his guns? Is that what it was? They took his best rifle and he's pretty darn pissed about it. (laughs) (laughs) Shit you not. I shit you not. That is the big driving force of his revenge alongside the oh you left me for dead but the rifle he was really pissed about golly so they replaced the rifle in the movie with his son dying i mean (laughs) good move on hollywood's part on that one that would have not been a very interesting movie (laughs) like i said the movie is more like emotionally fulfilling absolutely yeah but that's not the real deal god bless So, thinking of his perfect, beautiful rifle, he's crawling to a nearby creek. Over the course of five days, he drank water from the creek, killed insects and rattlesnakes for sustenance, and managed to regain strength that way. Um, He was able to set his own leg and wrapped himself in the bear hide that um, came from the bear that he killed, that the men had covered what they thought his dead body was with. Wow. Uh-huh. So Glass decided that his best bet was to head toward Fort Kiowa, which was a small establishment which would have supplies for him and was the closest reasonably established um, place to get to run by Western, i.e. white culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, he was 110 motivated and fueled by revenge and rage over the men who left him there and he was mostly pissed about Fitzgerald stealing his best gun. That's me. Mm-hmm. So 
So we are up. We are making progress. Let's go to Fort Kiowa. So there is one problem. Uh, Fort Kiowa was, was 200 to 300 miles away from his current location. And That's a long way to crawl. He has a broken leg and yeah, he's crawling at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he has body parts exposed. Remember, he's got ribs exposed. How did he not get infected? We'll get there. Oh, he got infected. Didn't oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but gosh darn, he was determined to get that gun back. So American. Very American. So travel was tediously slow at first. His only food came in the form of snakes, insects, and whatever edible plants he could find on the prairie. Literally anything he could catch. And he traveled along the river so that he could maintain a source of water. Smart. Um, that is smart. Yeah. So he was literally crawling for a lot of um, the first week for miles with open wounds. Golly. Imagine loving a gun that much. I was just thinking that actually I was like the, the drive that he has <laughs> just to get his fucking gun back. It makes more sense in the movie when it's like, oh, they killed his son. Of course he wants revenge. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> after a week or so, he stumbled upon a pack of wolves in the process of killing a baby buffalo uh, or bison. He waited for the pack to eat their fill, and he was able to sneak over to the carcass during the night and carried away half of it. He was able to camp out and consume the remaining buffalo calf meat and was able to gain even more strength at this point. It seems at this point that his leg had said enough that he could kind of walk on it, I guess, um, a little bit. He wasn't crawling anymore. He's probably limping along at this point. Mm-hmm. So at some point, glass was found (laughs) by a group of friendly Lakota Sioux um, indigenous peoples, which was lucky for him because the wounds on his back were now crawling with maggots. Yeah. So, yes, he did get infected. Infected. Yeah. So (laughs) they cleaned his wounds and redressed them before he managed to bargain his way onto one of their canoes. After many weeks of traveling downriver, he made it to Fort Kiowa and joined six French traders that were already there. And so he basically resupplied and healed for six more weeks and headed off toward Fort Henry, which was where his old trapping party was supposed to be. And um, Fitzgerald and uh, Bridger were also supposed to be ending up there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So The problem is Fort Henry was 400 miles back in the direction from whence he came. That's a long ass time. Right. Like a long ass way. He's traveled like 200, 300 miles crawling, limping, whatever. And now he's got to go back. However, this was nothing to him because now he had weapons, food and water. He could hop in a boat, travel up river. Um, So it was a breeze compared to what he had just been through. Um, Yeah. So he made it, yeah, so he made it to Fort Henry relatively quickly. Um, And then uh, Glass saw Bridger, who was the teenager Mm -hmm. who abandoned him. And uh, Bridger thought that Glass was a ghost. Um, Instead of killing him, however, Glass basically gave the kid a lecture because he knew that Fitzgerald had basically persuaded um, Bridger to leave 
uh, glass for dead, essentially. Um, and this is kind yeah. of what happens in the movie as well. Um, yeah, in the movie, the whatever, what what's his name? Bridger. No, not the one, the other one in the movie. Fitzgerald? No. Ugh. No, so, like, in the movie, they're, like, I don't know what to call them because I don't know, like, terms. But, like, um, the head guy yeah. saw that glass is still alive and then was looking for Fitzgerald, came across Bridger and mm-hmm. was like, you lied. And then like glass and whatever his title is, were sitting separately in a room and glass was like, no, like it's true. Like he Fitzgerald lied to him. Like he yeah. didn't know yeah. he wasn't there. Yeah. And at the time he's just a kid, he's just trying to survive. And, you know what yeah. I mean? They all thought he was dead. They all thought he was dying and dead. Yeah. So Fitzgerald, however, was not at the fort at the time. Um, And this is where we kind of take a departure from the movie, a big departure, because in the movie, he goes after Fitzgerald, kills him. It's this beautiful, perfect revenge story. That's this great, awesome, perfect. That didn't happen. So Glass did not track down Fitzgerald until... Yeah, that's a bummer. What happened? Yeah, um, until 1824. at Fort Atkinson, Nebraska, which is where Fitzgerald had enlisted in the army. Um, A captain had informed Glass that he could not kill a soldier, um, a.k.a. Fitzgerald, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because if he did, Glass would be tried for murder by the U.S. Army. Wow. not what he wants, right? Yeah, definitely not. This captain, however, did listen to Glass's story um, and offered to get Glass's rifle for him, his beloved rifle that he was searching so hard for. Fucking rifle. So he got his rifle back um, and Glass gave Fitzgerald the warning that if Fitzgerald ever left the army, uh, Glass would kill him. Um, So yeah, that we know of, Glass never actually killed Fitzgerald. Bummer. Um, I was really hoping that was going to be a thing. No. Uh, That's, you know, once again, Hollywood making a very emotionally satisfying ending. Yeah. Um, But Fitzgerald did disappear from the history books, um, possibly because he died. Um, or deserted out in the great American West as part of many of the wars against Native Americans that we took part in. Um, Or, who knows, Glass might have finally gotten him somewhere out there and buried him in an unmarked grave. Um, We will never know. I wonder Um, how many dead people are actually out there in unmarked graves. So many, just so many, I'm sure. We stumble across them from time to time when we build things. Yeah. How? Oh gosh, that's so wild to me too. Yeah. Like, I cannot imagine being like a construction worker just trying to build a house and you just come across a dead body. <laughs> right. Oh my god. And we come across like Native American burial grounds all the time because they're not yes. always marked or um, like African American um, graveyards or cemeteries that are also not marked because. Mm-hmm. We, as, you know, white people decided that they were unimportant. That happens a lot, too. Unfortunately. Yeah. I remember um, VIMS, uh, Virginia Institute of Marine Science, the fisheries building was on top of an Indian burial ground. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah. 
There's a gravestone in the parking lot. I don't know if you saw it. There's like a memorial plaque. I think I have seen it actually. Yeah. So pretty sure it's haunted. (laughs) Weren't they also like excavating the one parking lot that was across from like the gift shop because they found some sort of like ancient artifact in there? So they had to like dig up the whole parking lot. No. Yes. So they were digging up that parking lot. I remember because I was here for all of this. They were digging up that parking lot. They found a Revolutionary War era cannonball and they had the bomb squad come out. That's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Because Vims is also on the same location as the Battle of Yorktown, a.k.a. you know, the battle that we got our independence from Britain. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, so they found a, a cannonball. And I remember because um, the two techs that were also working there convinced me to go out and see what was going on. And I got yelled at by the uh, Navy bomb squad. <laughs> you can't be here. It's like, sorry. Uh, I wanted to see. <laughs> I just want to see a bomb. Oh, American history. It's fascinating. Um. <laughs> So we don't know what happened to Fitzgerald, but we do know what happened to Glass and Bridger. Um, The trapping business eventually dried up as beaver pelt hats went out of style and settlers began moving west, bringing civilization with them. Bridger went on to establish um, in 1842 the first resupply post for settlers moving west on many of our historic migration trails. Glass then did some trading in New Mexico and then returned to trapping up north. Um, In 1833, Glass was living at Fort Cass near the junction of the Yellowstone and Bighorn Rivers, which is in Montana, and was Mm -hmm. working as a hunter for the American Fur Company. One morning on a hunting trip, he was attacked by 30 Arikara on horseback. They took his clothes, his gear, they killed him, and they scalped him, leaving his body in the field. Ugh, scalping is just so gross to me. I know. They did not hold back in the movie. They They didn't. When I saw it, I was like, ugh. Showed it all. Yeah. Why? uh... I mean, why do we do all of the horrible things we do as a culture? What's the point of scalping someone? Like, what's the significance of that? Now, I did not do research on this, but um, from what I understand, it's kind of a we bested you kind of thing, like a a Uh, warrior, like ego thing, I think. Oh, like, like we bested our enemies kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, hanging is also very gross and, you know, lighting people on fire is also pretty gross. So. You know, it's one of those things. Humans are humans and we do awful things to each other. Yeah. We suck. We do. And I I find it interesting because in the movie, that death where he gets killed by the Arikara and scalped is exactly what happens to uh, Fitzgerald in the movie. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it happens to Hugh Glass just 10 years later from this event. I found that an interesting parallel. It is an interesting parallel. So that's the anticlimactic end of Hugh Glass, who was a man who survived a grizzly attack, but ended up 
dying due to the hardships of the American West 10 years later. Um, The Revenant movie and book both paint a more heroic and dramatic painting of Hugh Glass. However, the book does get it more accurate than um, to the truth than the movie does for sure. Um, The real story is by far more selfish, a little less gory, and a perfect picture of your average American man than either of the two fictional adaptations portray um, because his real driver beyond being angry about being left for dead was to just get his gun back. <laughs> That's so wild to me. It's hilarious. It's so funny. Cause everyone's like this great American hero. And I'm like, he just wanted his gun back. It's all, that's all it was. Oh my God. I wonder if there was like any significance to it that we don't know about, which is why he felt so compelled to get it back. Maybe, but like, I don't know, even if it was my dad's gun, I'd still be like, okay, like, you know, if I get it back, great, but I don't have to kill anybody over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um. So although what he went through was absolutely extraordinary uh, between being pressed into piracy and attacked by a grizzly bear, like awfully attacked. Um, he was more or less an average North American trapper, you know, making his money off of the colonization and exploitation mm-hmm. of the landscape and the people. And he met his death at the hands of the rightful owners of the land as many other American mountain men did at the time. Much of his story is shrouded in mystery um, with overlapping and contradictory accounts. So I tried to create the most accurate picture that I could of what happened to this man who has now become a legend through Hollywood. Um, But there is a vein of truth in this story. And that is that a man survived an unsurvivable animal attack and crawled his way back to civilization. And that is the truth. Yes, that's insane. Now, how many miles crawl altogether? Like 700, 800? No, by that time, so probably maybe only crawled, I would think, 50 at the most because it was oh, really, but he yeah. traveled about 800. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so. But so crawling 50 miles is still a lot. I mean, Think about like the bruising or like the wounds you would get even through your clothes. Yeah, like my elbows would be rubbed raw. Right? Like you already get blisters on your feet. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And the maggots. The maggots that gets me. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's actually like a very insane survival story because it was like he was uh very much supposed to be dead on more than one occasion. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So, so there you go. There's the uh, heroic American trapper hero story just for Thanksgiving. But I hope y'all took away that ultimately, I mean, it is amazing that he survived the bear attack 110%, but ultimately, you know, we paint often paint, you know, native American groups as enemies and vicious bears as enemies and, yeah, they can do, they did a lot of damage to individuals um, and groups of people. But ultimately, I mean, we took away their land, we took away their homes. And that is something that you need to recognize, you know, as an American, a modern day American, that this happened and we need to do what we can to 
kind of make going forward better because a lot of these communities are still in poverty, are still on land that they were forced into um, reservations and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 All important things. But by all means, you know, considering um, what I think we as a nation have been through in the past couple of years, um, you know, take Thanksgiving to be thankful for your families and your friends and everybody who's here um, and together. And I think that's what we can, instead of our, you know, Thanksgiving story of, you know, oh, we had a feast with the Native Americans. We were friendly with them. It's great. Instead of that, it should really be about your family um, and giving thanks to everything that you have. And maybe we should move away from that narrative and just move into having it be being appreciative. Yeah, exactly. Being grateful. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Um, Before I forget citations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I have from Encyclopedia Encyclopedia Britannica, I have several articles. One, Hugh Glass, American Frontiersman by Amy Tacannon. I have uh, the Arikara People um, by Encyclopedia Britannica and an article about grizzly bears. So that was kind of where I got my kind of base information from. Okay. Um, and then I have an unforgettable man, Hugh Glass. Um, this was from the website hughglass.org, which is just kind of a hero worship website. So I kind of had to take some things with a grain of salt, but it did give me a good timeline of the story. So that was helpful. Um, then I have the real story of The Revenant is far weirder and bloodier than the movie um, by Steve Friedman of The Hollywood Reporter. And then the incredible true story of the Revenant's Hugh Glass by Katie Serena um, from allthatisinteresting.org. I also have articles about the Karankawa Indians, um, one by Carol Lipscomb from the Texas State Historical Association, and then also one by Sharon Sellen. And then I got information about the Pawnee from PawneeNation.org, which is the tribal website. Um, awesome. And that's and then obviously further reading if you want to kind of get closer to the true revenant story read the book mm-hmm. by michael punk Kunke, whatever how do yeah. you pronounce his last name yeah so for some reason i don't know if it's because we have had multiple you come in multiple different devices it's telling me we only have nine minutes left to Fuck. so happy things <laughs> Happy things is that it's Thanksgiving this week and yep. I potentially have a little holiday side gig to give me more money. So oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. What about you? Um, I'm going to also go with Thanksgiving um, because I am ready for Corey's baking. Um, yeah. He is making a pumpkin pie and he is making a um, chocolate bourbon pecan pie. Jeez, he's so good at that. I know. It's why I buried him. <laughs> <laughs> Can my boyfriend be good at cooking that? <laughs> it's the he only good tacos, so that's a that's a thing. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, I like tacos. <laughs> it's the only reason I uh, married him is really for his baking. That's it. That's all that's the yeah. only reason. Um cool. no. <laughs> good deal. 
But it'll be nice to go up there and Marzi will get some love from my aunt and uncle. So yeah, that's good. Good deal. So now we have to wrap this up because we've had a lot of struggles behind the scenes that y'all are going to know about because of the magic of editing. But this has been the most stressful episode we have recorded in a long ass time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not that stressed. I'm just more annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So where can our listeners find us? (laughs) You guys can find us on uh, Instagram at Mother Nature K Podcast as the handle um on twitter at mnwky podcast we're on spotify podcast to listen to us as well as apple and google and any other streaming platform we also have a website that is mother where you can listen to us there as well you can also use the website to uh submit your own personal survival stories too and we will read them aloud on the podcast you can keep your name in or not if you don't want to for privacy and you don't have to be attacked by a grizzly bear um, for it to make it on the podcast. But if you have gotten attacked by a grizzly bear, I do want to hear about it. You need to tell yeah, us. Yeah. Jesus. That'd be amazing. Um, that you also, survived it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I would hope if they're writing to us that they survived it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, so Also, um, if you want to help out the podcast, you can give us a five-star review on any of the listening platforms um, because it really um, helps the algorithm move us up in the ratings or whatever the hell it does. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to help. Please give us a five-star review if you enjoyed this hot mess of a show today. (laughs) Hot mess express. It really was. We lost internet i forgot to press record again it has just to switch devices it has been just i i don't know how this works anymore i just need to go to bed yes (laughs) so that being said let's wrap this up Alrighty. until next time stay oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) i hate it here stay safe but most of all Stay curious, explorers. See you later. We need oh, to God. leave. <laughs> this is hard. <laughs>